I can't believe I am doing this. I guess I must really love my sister because I decided to take it upon myself to rewatch and research one of the most terrifying films I can remember from me and my sister's childhood, and that is the 1985 cult classic film intended for children, Return to Oz. Walt Disney Pictures intended this movie to be aimed at young children, and it was rated PG for tobacco use. And let me just tell you, tobacco use is the farthest thing from the many other concerns I have about this film. I really dreaded rewatching this film as I was pretty freaked out about it as a child, and my sister and I often used to reminisce about how petrifying this film was to us. Return to Oz was in no way a sequel to the cheerful and musical film that came before it decades earlier, The Wizard of Oz. Instead, it was based off of two books, Land of Oz and Ozma of Oz. Return to Oz didn't have munchkins or song and dance numbers. In fact, there are no musical breaks whatsoever in the film, but instead, the energy is much more dark and suspenseful. With that being said, on today's show, you will learn everything you ever wanted to know about the bizarre and ominous film that is Return to Oz. By the end of the show, you will learn who the Wheelers are, not that you want to know who they are, what the evil princess had a horrifying collection of, what went on behind the scenes, and why, 35 years later, this film should ideally be viewed during the day. I will also be sharing a synopsis of the film, so if you are planning on watching it anytime soon, you can watch it on Disney+. Plus. Please note that there will be many, many spoilers. So grab your ruby red slippers, a bucket of popcorn, and a blanket to cover your eyes. Here we go. Hello, and thank you so very much for tuning into the Pop Culture Retrospective Podcast, a show inspired by, and in memory of, my big sister Rebecca, and her love for all things pop culture, especially the people, places, and things of the 1980s, 1990s, and early 2000s. My name is Amy Lewis, and I am your captain aboard this pop culture time machine. Get out your tickets, I'm about to come around and punch them. Yikes. You are tuning into episode number 18, Return to Oz, a spine-chilling film to view both as a child and as an adult. My sister and I were too young to have seen this movie when it was released in theaters in the mid-1980s, but I believe we must have viewed it more than once, either at a friend's house or family member's house or perhaps on the Disney Channel, which I believe ran it pretty frequently in the late 1980s and early 1990s. We'll start today's show with a detailed synopsis of the film, including the main cast. You may want to drink an adult beverage during this description. I'll wait for you to grab something. All set? Okay, let's continue. And I apologize in advance if I keep repeating the phrase, and remember, this was meant for children. Return to Oz is set in October of 1899, just before the turn of the century. Because tonight we're gonna party like it's 1899. It's not really a party, but... But anyways... Dorothy lives with her aunt and uncle in a dilapidated farmhouse that was destroyed by a tornado six months earlier. Her good friends are Belina, who is a chicken, and Toto, the infamous scruffy dog. Dorothy was played by newcomer Feruza Balk, who you may remember from The Craft or American History X, some more somewhat recent films. 
This was her first film role, which you never know because she's really excellent in this movie. The film opens with Dorothy laying in her bed and looking at the reflection of the night sky in her mirror. Her Auntie M comes to check on her and notices she is awake and seems concerned. She tells Dorothy she is worried about her because she hasn't slept well in six months, ever since the tornado. Dorothy often daydreams about her friends in Oz and expresses she is worried about her friends there and that they may be in trouble. Concerned, Auntie M leaves Dorothy's room to speak with her husband who is looking at a newspaper clipping. This is the exact moment when we know the direction that this movie is headed in. Is the uncle looking at a job listing? Nope. Is he looking in the for sale section, maybe? Not at all. He is looking at an advertisement that says, quote, Announcement, electric healing. I take pleasure in saying to the citizens of Black River Falls and adjacent towns that I have secured Dr. J.B. Worley from the Graduate American School of Electric Healing and have opened a sanitarium of electric healing of my residence, Lower Falls, town of Brockway, where the afflicted may exchange their aches and pains for ease and comfort. Foreshadowing, perhaps? Yes, it is. And yikes. It seems as though the aunt and uncle have been considering alternative methods for helping Dorothy with her daydreams and constant thoughts. Money is tight, but someone has offered to help them pay for Dorothy to receive treatment. It doesn't appear as though Dorothy's aunt and uncle are abusive by any means, but I guess they just don't know what to do with little distracted Dorothy. One day, while doing chores on the farm, Dorothy stumbles upon a key that she believes has Oz engraved into it. Dorothy shows her aunt the keys and says she thinks her friend sent it to her from Oz via the shooting star she saw the other night. Apparently, that is the last straw, and we soon see Dorothy riding to town in a horse-drawn carriage with her aunt. They are headed to that blasted sanitarium. When they arrive, Dorothy and her aunt meet with a doctor, and she explains what she has been thinking about. Ruby red slippers, the cowardly lion, and the tin man who lost his leg, etc., etc., the doctor is played by Thomas Nichol Williamson, who was a famous English actor who performed in many stage plays before moving on to the big screen. He also plays the villain of the film, the Gnome King. More on the Gnome King later, unfortunately. However, Williamson does an excellent job playing a suspicious yet inviting doctor as well as the terrifying Gnome King. But like I said, we'll get to that in a bit. The doctor shows Dorothy a machine that will, quote, help rid her of the waking dreams she's been having. He tells her not to be afraid because it looks like a face. Yes, there's nothing to be afraid of with this electric shock machine because it looks like a face. Two meters are supposedly the eyes, a metal cylinder is the nose, and a rectangular slot is the mouth with a sliding lever that is the tongue. I mean, that's what I would think of when I looked at an electric shock machine as a 10-year-old child. The aunt leaves shortly thereafter, and Dorothy is escorted to her room by an intimidating and sinister-looking nurse who is played by Jean Lindsay Torrin Marsh, a storied English actress and writer. She not only plays the evil nurse, but also the even more evil Mombi, which we'll discuss later. Apparently, Marsh got bit by the acting bug after she took dance and miming classes as a child. It seems like the creepy art form that is miming was really excellent preparation for the characters she would play down the road in this film. It served her well. 
She also starred in Willow that was released just three years after Return to Oz in 1988. While Dorothy is waiting in her dust-filled room for her shock treatment, a young girl suddenly appears and gives her a pumpkin. While she is in her room, Dorothy hears screaming coming from other patients' rooms. Nice. Dorothy also somehow locates a comb and uh, uses that to brush the pumpkin like it has hair. I'm, I'm sure that's typical behavior of a child. Anyways, shortly thereafter, the nurse appears at Dorothy's room. The mysterious girl who gave her the pumpkin uh, disappears. And the nurse asks her if she, quote, wants to go for a ride. Dorothy is then placed onto a stretcher, is strapped down, and is wheeled into an exam room. The electric shock machine she saw early in the doctor's office is now back. That's got to suck. It gets plugged in and heavy-duty headphones get put on over her ears. Just as they are about to get started, the power miraculously goes out and the white noise from the machine turns off and the screaming and moans can be heard from the other patients again. The mysterious girl comes back to help Dorothy escape from the medical procedure room. They escape the sanitarium and run out into the rain and thunder. They are chased by the nurse and end up falling into a river and floating away. Somehow, Dorothy finds some kind of crate-slash-wooden-crib-looking structure that she gets herself onto. She eventually floats into open water and comes to a stop after landing in a puddle, and her faithful chicken, Belina, appears. Thank God, because that chicken's going to help her get out of a lot of danger. Or not. It seems—well, I guess she kind of does. But anyways— It seems as though Dorothy has landed at Oz. Her old house that blew away in the tornado is in shambles there. The yellow brick road is all ripped up, and all of the people in the city have been turned to stone. Further, on a few of the cement walls around the city, someone has spray-painted, Beware the Wheelers. Which is very accurate. You should beware the Wheelers. The Wheelers are some of the scariest villains to ever grace the screen of a children's movie, as you will soon learn. Certainly some of the scariest things that that I've seen. As she's walking around the destroyed city, she hears the sound of squeaky wheels moving about. All of a sudden, a group of said wheelers surround Dorothy. The wheelers are a group of men who have large wheels attached to both their arms and legs. They hunch over kind of like a monkey on roller skates to get around. They are dressed in bright clothing and have helmets on with a blood-curdling face painted on top that shows when they are rolling about with their heads down. They also all have makeup on, mainly red and black eyeshadow, which further adds to their frightening look. Dorothy manages to get away from this group of freaks by using her Oz key to open up a cinder block wall she's standing by and closing it quickly before they can get in. When the wall closes, the wheelers frighteningly peer in through the keyhole and yell at her in their screechy and crackly voices. While trapped in the small cinder block room, she encounters TikTok, a copper-colored, rounded, tin man-like character who will soon become her friend. TikTok reminds me of a combination of Wilford Brimley, the Quaker Oats guy slash diabetes guy, and Pat Morita, Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid. It's a good combination. Very 80s, by the way. After winding him up, Dorothy and TikTok leave their spot, and thankfully, TikTok manages to fight off all of the wheelers. 
they find out from the head wheeler that Princess Mombi knows where Scarecrow is, and that is where they decide to head next. In addition to the wheelers, the next few scenes are also some of the most horrifying of the entire movie. They find Mommy's castle and let themselves in. As they are walking through, they walk through a large, sort of mirrored closet area. The closet is essentially a hall of heads, as there are dozens and dozens of live heads on pedestals in display cases which are numbered. The princess often switches her head depending on her mood. Again, this is a movie for children. A princess that yanks her head off and smashes on a different one. Wow. And in case you were wondering, which you probably weren't, Mombi's original head is in cabinet number 31. They confront Mombi and ask her where Scarecrow is, which of course she's not going to tell them. So she takes TikTok and Dorothy to the tower and threatens to take Dorothy's head so she can add it to her collection. Lovely. While in the tower, we meet Jack Pumpkinhead, who becomes another of Dorothy's friends. And, as you might imagine, Jack looks like a wooden stick figure with a humongous and top-heavy pumpkin head. She also meets a taxidermy moose named Gunk. The group fashions a sleigh out of a few fainting couches, including the one that Gunk is already attached to, and they sneak out of the tower to grab the powder of life from Princess Mombi. While running through the Hall of Heads, head number 31, the original Mombi head, wakes up and screams, waking up the other heads who also start screaming. Again, this is intended for children. Is it, though? In the nick of time, the power of life is sprinkled on the DIY sleigh, and off they go, flying out into the night. Infuriated, Princess Mombi summons the wheelers, and they start to chase after the sleigh. Eventually, the sleigh starts to unravel, as it was a POS anyways, and they crash land in an area with mountains and snow, and the Gnome King appears, and he captures Dorothy and all of her friends. Dorothy finds out that the Scarecrow was essentially kidnapped because he was accused of taking emeralds, which upset the Gnome King. By the way, the Gnome King is made out of clay animation and is very scary, even with the technology being very dated at this point. I don't even think clay animation is used anymore, but very scary, very intimidating, and also pretty impressive for the time. The Gnome King ends up having Dorothy and all of her friends go to his knick-knack room one by one. If they can pick up what item or items that the Gnome King is thinking of in his head, the Scarecrow can be let go. One by one, the group heads in, but none of them can seem to figure out which item the Gnome King is referring to. When it's Dorothy's turn, the Gnome King shifts from being clay animation to being a real-life human character dressed in a very elaborate costume that makes him look as though he is made of stone. And it is very well done. He's very scary looking. I wonder if they, they should have been nominated for an Oscar for costuming in this movie because it's they're unbelievable. The real-life Gnome King ups the creep factor when he starts smoking a pipe and shows Dorothy her ruby-red slippers that he is wearing underneath his rock-like cape. None of her friends ends up being successful with selecting the items, so now it is Dorothy's turn to go into the knick-knack room. She uses up two out of her three chances and finally selects something that is green. She holds it and says the magic word, Oz, and all of a sudden, 
the Scarecrow appears. If Michael Jackson was reincarnated as a Scarecrow, he would have looked like this. His expression is just way too alert for being a burlap sack baghead, and it reminds me of the Rainbow Bright live-action character I referred to in Episode 8 of this show, in that he looks like something out of your worst nightmare. In said nightmare, perhaps you are being chased by a knife-wielding creature which turns out to resemble this horrific scarecrow. Dorothy and the scarecrow then work together to find items that are green or emerald in color, and they bring back all of their comrades, which further infuriates the already irritable Gnome King. The group attempts to escape, but the Gnome King, who has now returned to clay animation status, starts to destroy his knick-knack room and ultimately his kingdom. The creepy clay animation king grabs Jack Pumpkinhead and dangles him over his open mouth, ready to swallow him whole. Thankfully, Belina is inside of Jack's head for whatever reason, and one of her eggs falls out into the Gnome King's mouth. Eggs are apparently poisonous to gnomes, so shortly thereafter, he is gone and subsequently defeated. Just before the kingdom completely crumbles, Dorothy grabs her ruby red slippers out of the rubble, puts them on, and clicks her heels and wishes for Oz to be completely restored. Her wish comes true and Oz returns to the way that it was in the final scene and Oz finds Dorothy being celebrated in a palace with wall-to-wall green carpeting with many mirrors, but thankfully, no more decapitated heads. Phew. Although they want Dorothy to be the Queen of Oz, she knows she needs to return home and the young girl she keeps crossing paths with becomes the leader and, as it turns out, she is the rightful ruler of Oz, Princess Ozma. The movie is then closed out and we see Dorothy back with her family. She learns that the sanitarium burned to the ground from that thunderstorm. Their house is no longer in poor condition and she is happy to be with her aunt, uncle, and dog, Toto. She can also see Princess Ozma in the mirror that sits atop her dresser. It appears as if she will be getting the best of both worlds. So, there you go. That was a mouthful about the synopsis of the movie that terrified me and my sister as children, and which I anxiously watched again as an adult. Now that we've gotten through this bizarre synopsis, here are some fun facts that you may not have been aware of from this eccentric film from the 1980s. A male gymnast named Michael Surden was responsible for maneuvering the TikTok character. He essentially had to bend over at the waist with his legs bent to smash himself into the costume since TikTok had a short stature. The Walt Disney Company initially fired the director, Walter Murch, about a week into the film's production due to concerns over the budget. Fortunately for him, he was rehired and finished out the film. In addition to this directing credit, Murch was also responsible for editing The Godfather and Apocalypse Now. Perhaps that's why Return to Oz was so screwed up? Who knows? Judy Garland was 17 when she played Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, and Veruza Balk was 10. In the actual Wizard of Oz books, Dorothy's magical slippers are silver. The ruby red slippers were just made up for the movies. What a letdown. Both Tim Curry and Christopher Lloyd were considered for the role of the Gnome King. Curry and Lloyd are certainly extremely talented actors, but the gentleman who ended up playing him was outstanding and creepy as heck. For about 20 years, Return to Oz held the title of being the longest wait for a film sequel. 
Several other actresses auditioned for the role of Dorothy, including Drew Barrymore, Juliette Lewis, Elizabeth, I'm so excited, I'm so scared, Berkeley, and Alanis, you ought to know, Morissette. Crazy. Feruza Balk did all of her own stunts. Mary Steenburgen and Terry Garr were both considered for the role of Princess Mombi, but again, she was cast perfectly with Jean Lindsay Torrin Marsh. The clay animation done in the film, primarily the Gnome King, was all done in Portland, Oregon, while the film was shot primarily in the United Kingdom. Walt Disney was apparently a huge fan of the Wizard of Oz books. Everything in the Return to Oz books was influenced by the original Bound books, including the dreaded costumes, which were ultimately impressive, but so creepy, even now. The cowardly lion in the film, as well as the head of TikTok, were completely remote-controlled. You can watch behind-the-scenes footage of the movie on YouTube. I'll post a link in the show notes. If you want to up the fear factor even more, you can also watch the wheelers in rehearsal and utilizing their archaic workout space, which looks like a torture chamber. Being hunched over was, of course, very taxing on the wheelers' bodies. Perhaps that further added to their just psychotic presence. In many photos taken while the film was in production, we see the director Walter Murch wearing a staple of the 1980s, a members-only jacket. Which proves that while he had a very dark perspective on the Return to Oz story, he also dressed in a stylish yet sophisticated manner. Gotta love that merch. Keep in it. Classy as usual. The Cowardly Lion, Tin Man, and Scarecrow were supposed to have more prominent roles in the film, but budget constraints prevented them from being in more scenes. Originally, the Scarecrow was supposed to have an animatronic face, but budget cuts forced them to make several masks with fixed facial expressions on them. I am not sure which would ultimately end up being more creepy. When Dorothy is at the sanitarium, her room number is 31, much like that of Mombi's original head number in her decapitated Head room. The film received mixed reviews when it was released, but I think Canadian film critic Jay Scott put it best when he said, Dorothy's friends are as weird as her enemies, which is faithful to the original Oz books, but turns out not to be a virtue on film, where the eerie has a tendency to remain eerie no matter how often we're told it's not. And also David Kerr of the Chicago Reader, one of my dad's favorite newspapers, it's bleak creepy, and occasionally terrifying. Terrifying. Mr. Kerr is just the beginning. I hope you've enjoyed this look back on the 1985 psychological thriller for children, Return to Oz. Okay, psychological thriller is a little dramatic, but after revisiting the film all of these decades later and researching it more, its darkness has stood out for me even though it has been so long since I last saw it. My sister was very easily spooked, and this movie was no exception. Another example of her and my most hated thriller films was Silence of the Lambs. After seeing that movie as a teenager, my sister always wanted to be accompanied to any basement that she went into, And while I sort of teased her for it, it's kind of a good reminder of just how much something scary can really stick with you, even when you're an adult. And the same goes for Return to Oz. 
If you are enjoying the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast, please consider subscribing to the show and rating the show. And a huge thank you to all of the people that have already rated the show. I really, really appreciate it. It means a lot and makes me feel good about doing the show. Please tell your friends and family about the show. You can contact me anytime. My email address is popcultureretrospective at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at popcultureretro. I hope you will join me for my next show, which I hope I won't be dreading like this one, uh, where we will discuss the short-lived time in the spotlight of none other than, drumroll please, Vanilla Ice. Until then, be kind, be safe, and hold on to your memories.